You're listening to Dave's podcast. My guest on this episode is a gentleman by the name of Eric Cagorno. He's one of the top golf instructors online in the world he's on youtube he's huge on youtube i actually initially found him and i reached out to him and i wanted to just have him on this podcast to talk about some golf stuff and we actually ended up talking a lot about personal development being a kind of solo entrepreneur creating a youtube channel it was a really interesting discussion that i'm excited that we get to run as a podcast on exit five uh for another outside of work series so here's my conversation with eric if you like golf, if you like personal development, if you're interested in YouTube, I think you'll get something from this interview. Here it is. All right. So Eric, I shared you this uh, before we started hit record, but I just want to put this on the record. But basically I've had a podcast for a decade or so. I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a marketing exec and having a podcast has been this like amazing way for me to secretly like learn. So I was a marketing exec and I had a podcast where I interviewed other marketing execs and it was like, oh shit, you talk to all these people all the time and you get smarter about marketing. And I want to use my podcast now to like do that, but do it for things that I care about outside of work. And so, so, so for me, golf, <laughs> golf is number one on that list, fitness, personal development. I want to interview athletes, authors. I don't know where this is going to go, but I just was telling you this story where you're somebody that I've been following for a while on YouTube, watch your content all the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to email, I'm going to cold email Eric and see what happens. And and you said yes. And so here you are. So before we go in, just so people can hear your voice and get to know you, can you give people a little bit of like, what's the, the two minute Eric Cagorno overview for people who don't know you? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate those, the kind words. You're, you're uh, and my interests align very much in terms of the health and the, the fitness and personal development. So this will be fun. Oh, cool. I'm a normal guy who, um, you know, got obsessed with golf. I, I used to, uh, grew up playing sports. Uh, my dad introduced me to golf, had an obsession with trying to beat him when we used to play on the weekends. And that led to this probably 15 year journey of love, hate with golf, as we all have, like a lot of us when we're younger have this idea that, uh, we're going to be a professional athlete. And so like in, in my mind, you know, I was played baseball when I was in little league, I was going to be in, in MLB. And then uh, fast forward to uh, being good, you know, decent at golf to play in college. When I went to school, the short version is like, you know, in, in anything you do, and maybe it was, I don't know if you had this experience with, with business as well. It's like, sometimes you, all it takes is seeing one person who's just so much better than you at something to kind of make you realize like, whoa, like I'm like not even close to this sort of thing. So anyway, I had that very early in my golfing career. I was like, okay, this PGA tour thing's not going to happen let's figure out a different life plan. And that led to, uh, to teaching golf. How good were you at the college level? Not very good. So I, I played at Lehigh, you know, like I could shoot around parish as could, I found out thousands and thousands of other people my age. Which is so like demoralized. Well, actually I've changed my relationship with golf. So I played growing up similar thing where I was an athlete and I use my, I guess like athletic ability to become a single digit, like a, I would say like a six handicap, but it wasn't like a real six. Like if you, you know, I could go and break 80 if I was playing like with, you know, two of my buddies and my dad. And like, you know, maybe there's like a, there's a ball that like was maybe OB, but you kind of took a drop anyway, you know, like, and, and I quickly learned like, no, this is not real. But now 
I'm 35. I have two kids. I have a you know business stuff, and my relationship with golf has almost completely changed. Where like I I have no expectations of of becoming a, a professional, but I quit for a long time because I just would get so frustrated by it. I took it too seriously. Now I see it completely differently, which is like it's maybe since COVID. Honestly, it's like this. How where else can you be outside for four and a half five hours? You're in nature. You're not on your phone. Uh, how many other sports do you have that you can like compete? You know, I, I love basketball. I love other things, but like, I'm not going to go break an ankle or tear my, <laughs> tear my ACL, like, you know, playing basketball. And so golf has become that. I think like my, my relationship with it has changed. It's interesting to hear you say like, yeah, I saw the level and realized that I wasn't going to get there. So I took a different path. Hey, I think what you just said there is healthy for both of most of us. Like, I think one of the things we, us who are like semi-athletic, we expect that golf should be like easier than it is and lose sight of how difficult it is. I think if we go out, it's more like, Hey, let's go enjoy the walk, man. Like let's be present. Let's like be here and enjoy it. That's probably a much healthier relationship with it. Yeah. I still want to play really well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. 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 But it's like, even for you, Dave, like how often do you play in practice right now? Right now I practice four or five times a week and I play two or three times a week. Okay. So that's enough. It's enough, but this has changed. So for me, like I was working in a company for a while and I was playing, I was living in a city. I was working in a, in a place where I had to go to the office. Right. And so I was playing maybe twice a year. And that was when I really quit because like I was never getting better. And when I played twice a year, it was like socially like, oh yeah, the CFO of my company, you know, invited me to some tournament and we go and play. And actually, because of COVID, we we moved out of the city. I live in Vermont now. I run my own business. I work for myself. I've been fortunate to be successful from a business standpoint. And so now I can go play and I, I can go get better. And so like, you, you know, you do need the time. But so I played in the, uh, I live in Vermont. I qualify for the Vermont, Vermont State Am. And I'm playing in this event. And there's a fort, I'm playing in, the, in this round. The, the kid that I'm, one of the kids I'm playing with is 14 such an innocent guy, like so, so cute, innocent. He says to me at the end of the round, he's like, Hey, he's like, how, how often do you play? And I'm like, I, I play two, three times a week. And he goes, that's it. He goes, I, I play every day. I'm like, yeah, man. And then it turns out they own a golf course and they live on the golf course. This kid plays seven days a week. And so like, it's tough to be realistic about like what it takes to, to be at that level. But like, I wouldn't expect to be great at business and only do it, you know, a couple hours a week. Uh, now I'm able to actually play and practice, but Anyway, I don't want to make this whole thing about me. I have a thousand things I want to ask you. I mean, yeah, no, no, it's good. I'm still so fascinated in the marketing side of this. And I I almost think of you, I think of you as a YouTuber. Is that weird for you? Like, did you intend to do that? Because I'm guessing you, you probably generate some significant revenue from YouTube, from online. I know a bunch of golf instructors and, and like anything, they have trouble scaling the business because it's like, you can only have, you know, you have, you have one hour for a client. There's only X hours in the week. I'm just interested from from the business side of things, like this journey for you to become an online coach and, and you've built this business on YouTube, was that intentional or did you kind of find your way into that? Yeah, it was definitely intentional, right? I mean, it's trying to solve the problem you just mentioned. So I spent my first probably seven to eight years of coaching, putting 100% of my energy into trying to get better at coaching. It's like, how do I get as good at this skill as possible? And that I think is like um, the foundation that needed to be in place. But then probably by year, you know, seven or eight, or maybe close to 10 years, I kind of had maxed out what I could do. I took coach one person for one hour for 40 to 50 hours a week, a not scalable and B for me, not sustainable. Like I was 28, seven, eight when we started 27, 
we started like uh, shifting gears and I don't, I wouldn't say I was burnt out, but I was like, dude, I couldn't do this for another 30 years. Like I can't stand on a range all day for 30 years. And like everyone has the same footing. Like you just say yes to a lesson. Like I see it now, like, a, you know, you, you could give a lesson to a, to a scratch golfer or you can give a lesson to some 58 year old guy who can't hit the ball in the air and you're just standing there for an hour and you're like, is this really what I'm, <laughs> is this what I want to be spending my time doing? Yeah, exactly. And dude, some guys love it, right? Some guys love the range and the grind, the coaching. I love, I like the impact, you know, for me, it was more of like, I'm very cheap and like live frugally. So like, there's a point of money for me. That's uh, the marginal utility of it gets very, very small after a period of time. And it's pretty low number. So like, obviously scaling online provides more financial benefits, but it's more like if I spend a full week of all of my energy, the maximum impact I could have is touching 40 people when I do in-person coaching, 40 hours versus online, it's unlimited, right? So like right now, we probably do like 5 million views a month, like across platforms. So I'm like, okay, 45 million, you know, that I could have an effect on. So it's like, if I spend all this time and energy trying to get good at this skill, I want to share it. I want to help other people and want to impact other people. And so there, you know, there's a financial aspect to it, but it was, it was definitely more impact for me. And so in 2017, we started a YouTube uh, channel, myself and my partner, uh, business partner, Mary Langle. And effectively she came in for a lesson and was like watching me teach. And I had a lot of kids. We had like group practice at that time. So it was like a fun, we had music going on, you know, we're busting chops and stuff. So she originally was like, Hey, there's something going on here. Let's share this. I'm like, Hey, funny enough, I want to like expand what we're doing. And then you fast forward into us starting the, uh, you know, the YouTube channel in 2017. But the goal, the goal was always like, how do I talk to and grow my audience? Audience was the goal. And so did she have YouTube experience? Did you have YouTube experience? Cause like, it's not, it's not like you can just like, you know, film videos on your iPhone. It's not like early YouTube days. Like you, you kind of have to know what you're, what you're doing now to make it, it, it good. So who, where did that come from? Yeah. It's funny how 2017 is not that long ago, but it feels like so long ago and things have evolved so much. And YouTube especially. Yeah. Like it's now, now it's like the, the creator economy, you know, everyone and their mother is a YouTube <laughs> personality, right? Like, yeah, it's funny how fast it has changed. But no, so she she came from the PR world. So she didn't have any like experience with the really with like cameras or editing all that. She just learned that as she went. And our deal was basically like, listen, I coach all day. I'm gonna continue to coach all day. If you can find a way to be here at these times and, and basically we just started filming lessons. It was like, what would be the easiest first step to start this? That was effectively the conversation. And so it wasn't us creating how-to videos, it was just documenting. Yeah, some I've seen like a bunch of your older videos that I sometimes will stumble upon. It's more like it's less high production, it's more like you were giving some guy a lesson and you you happen to be filming it, which I think is cool. Also, it still kind of works. Like it's like vintage in a way where like you're you feel like more of a flyer on the wall, but it seems like now your stuff is more I don't want to say keyword driven, but it does seem like, you know, you kind of pop up for anything that you might be trying to find on on YouTube. So the, the, the lesson thing, we're kind of retesting now a little bit of, of more of the documenting, but it was from 2017 up until about now, we're kind of at a, a, an interesting point in time. It was trying to make evergreen content. So we have like, I don't know, 1,200, 1,300 videos. So it's like, what's every single topic about the golf swing you could possibly imagine? And let's have a video on it. And I, I knew early on, like at that point in time, I was watching a lot of like Grant Cardone, Gary Vee, like, so I was, I was very much influenced by that at that point in time. So I always had in mind, like, how do we take this audience and then have them monetize it? You know, one of the things I think we've been very good at in the golf world relative to what I see is our ability to monetize the audience as we go. 
relative to our field has been good. So I always knew like, hey, I want to do a membership site. I want to get people on a monthly subscription. Uh, so the videos always played along with that too. If I was coaching and I was like, hey, I'm giving this same lesson over and over. I don't have a video for it. Let me make a video and then that'll shorten the time period. So 500 of the videos were, you know, stemmed from that. That's the world that I come from is the, is the Gary V, Grant Cardone content world. And one of the things that drew me to your content was like, man, this guy, this guy gets it. So it's interesting to hear you say that that that's intentional because I now, so I, I, um, between like a guy that I go to for lessons or for lessons and a guy that I, I work out with who's TPI, former athlete, baseball guy now kind of loves golf and he, he does golf specific workout stuff. Both of them have the same challenge that you have. And I'm like, man, you gotta, you gotta do content. And it's like, you, you have the dream business now for one of those guys, I think, because you have, you have YouTube, which is like a top of funnel to drive to your membership site, but also with, with 5 million views a month, especially if you're a frugal guy, like you can, you can make a living off of that. But I think the the membership site and owning your own content is genius and gives you a way to scale. How, how big is the membership site? So we have 1300 members right now. The goal originally, like I, you listen to Jim Rohn? Of course, the Jim Rohn, actually one of the reasons for wanting to start this podcast, I have this quote from Jim Rohn, which is, um, he says, his quote is, I think it's like, um, uh, learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. If you work hard on your job, you'll make a living. But if you work hard on yourself, you'll make a fortune. So there's a video that's Jim Rohn's most popular personal development video. It's called How to Take Charge of Your Life, Jim Rohn Personal Development. I listen to that video no less than four times a week for the past like seven years. And so the basis for all of like the Gary V, the Grant Cardone, the the building. So like th- I, I bring this into the subscription thing, which is like when I first started to decide I wanted to do these videos, I listened to a Jim Rohn goal setting thing. It was a two part video. It was probably like an hour long of setting goals. And so my whole baseline for the site was like, what would my dream life be if I could build that in three to five years? And how would I do it with complete financial freedom? So like one of the things Jim talks about a lot is financial freedom, right? Being able to live off of the money you make off of your money. So I essentially made a list like, and this serves to the point of the subscription conversation was like, here's all the things that I want. Here's how much they cost. And five years ago, the cost was a little different than it is today. So I'm like, okay, all of those things are going to cost X amount. For me, that thing was $20,000 a month. And I said, okay, if I want to have that by the time I'm 40 and theoretically not have to work, how much money would I have to have saved up so that I would have that by I'm 40, yada, yada. I back-ended that into, hey, we need roughly 2,000 people at $50 a month. Then when I take that percentage after tax, that leads to all these things. So like all of that was very intentional. Like these videos and what we do is like, how many people do we need to get per day, per month, per year? to hit this, 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 this. Dude, I've done the exact same thing, but in the marketing space. And so I have a subscription site. I have a membership site that has 3,000 members that cost $20 a month. And it's given me, I quit my job, I quit my job two years ago and I have all the time in the world now to do other things. And I, I do other things to make additional income because I my kids are young. I just want to stack cash now and I just want to have the freedom. But I've done the exact same thing. And, and uh it's given me so much freedom and scale because, and especially in my world, like it's for marketing professionals. And so like people don't often pay out of their own pocket, right? They're like expensing it to their company. But I built this site that is 
20, 30 K a month in, in recurring income. I do a podcast about marketing to like, to fuel that. It's, it's not, I think the passive income, as you know, is, is a myth. It's like work your ass off, do a ton of things for 10 years. And then like, you will benefit from that. But, um, right. it's so cool, dude. I had no idea this conversation was going to go this direction. Like here I am reaching out to you. Cause I thought we were just gonna talk about golf for an hour. And now we're talking about Jim Rohn. Like I, I grabbed this book. This guy I used to work for, uh, David Cancel is the CEO of a company called Drift, was the last company that I worked at. He put me on to Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn was the guy that, I guess, taught Tony Robbins all of his stuff. I recommend this book more than any other book. And every time I recommend this book, people laugh because it looks like, it looks corny. It looks, you know, old school, outdated. And it's like wealth and happiness. People, you know, th those topics come off as like... You know, I'm not sure like I buy into this stuff. And I, I think that some people kind of read like Gary Vee the wrong way. But I think if you can, if you go and study, like if you're, if someone's listening to this and you're inspired to go like, go dig into the Jim Rohn stuff. And I think especially today, 2022, like you, we all have the tools that if you're an expert or if you gain expertise in a field, like for me, that was marketing for you, that was golf and you, you can build a business for yourself without having to hire a big team. You're basically like capitalizing on your on your expertise. And now it all fuels itself. Like I'm sure you've, you've been able to not just on the financial side, but like you becoming popular on YouTube and having this membership site has probably led to just so many other things and open other doors for you that you didn't like set out initially when you kind of set that goal. Yeah, dude, 100% on the same page. What is, uh, I want to, I, I want to ask you about a bunch of golf stuff, but I'm just, since you're into personal development, like take me through a, a day week in your life. Like, do you have routines, morning routines, habits, systems. I'm just curious to know like what you do. Yeah. So I'm probably on the far end of the spectrum on that. I'm very habit, very routine. So like not everything I think in life, do you have like a, a point where things shift so dramatically, but I, I sort of had a, had a time period where I started listening to Jim and Tony Robbins, et cetera, and had a shift. And during that time period was when I did that five-year goal thing which turned into a three-year goal thing. And then I was like, really spent a lot of time researching what, what do successful people do, right? Which is a lot of people in our space spend time studying that. And so there was a list of a couple of things that I thought, hey, if I did these every day, I would have no choice but to improve. Alex Ramosi, who's been very popular lately, uh, rightfully so, uh, talks about like, what habit could you do where it would be unreasonable not to expect to get better at something? I think that's a good way to put it. So literally I write down on a sheet like this, I have like six sheets on my wall in my office and I write down every day, the six things that I think are daily habits that help me where I'm like, if I did nothing else today, but do these things, I think I win the day. So I write down workout, personal development, video, mindfulness, read mobility, and then embrace fear, build discipline. And I write down on a sheet every day and I literally check mark them. Let's go through Can we go, can we go through each one of those? So first one is workout. What do you do for a workout? When do you work out? So I get up at 5.30 every day. I'm a big believer in going to sleep and waking up at the same time. Get up early. So I go to sleep at 9.30, wake up at 5.30. That's seven days a week. And then I'll go to the gym for like one hour. To be honest, I do like a bodybuilding kind of like bro workout. That's like what my gym thing looks like. I do that now. I come, I switch now. I was like, I did CrossFit for a while. I did heavy power lifting for a while. I'm like, you know, what my body wants is like chest and back, buys and tries, shoulders. I do a ton of walking. I do a ton of like just low cardio and I feel better. I feel like that stuff was just like killing me. And I feel like this is something that I can do like super sustainably forever. And like, you can always do push-ups, pull-ups and all that stuff. You know, I had the exact same experience. Another Hormozy thing, he's getting some nice plugs here was like, uh, you know, if you can't do it forever, don't do it for one day. 
And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, what are the things I can do that I'm going to feel good? Like, could I do this workout when I'm 70 or 80 or 90? And I'm sort of based on, and I feel better. I feel the same way. So one hour I'll lift two days and then I'll do like a walk mobility the next day, like a sort of active. Yeah. How old are you? 33. Okay. So you're 33. So like, you're, you know, you're also like at the point, like I'm 35 where you're like, I used to feel like I needed to go to the gym and lift every single day. And now I feel like if I lift weights, like I'm just trying to lift weights two, three times a week. That's where I'm at too. That's where I'm at the same spot. We have a lot of parallels. So I come home, shower, eat. I eat the same things every single day, like a dog. I think that works for me and just stay on track. Did you see, by the way, speaking of, of, of your boy, Her- Hormozy. You have some thoughts on Hormozy? No disrespect. Like I'm a, I'm into learning. We're very similar in those things. I, I think he's like the newest, he's like in the Gary V, Russell Brunson type of, you know, marketing sales growth niche. That's very popular. But I, I'm only saying this, he posted a video uh, last week that was like, here's how I get 80 grams. He posted this video. like, here's a protein bomb. The yogurt. This guy, he put, yes, you saw that? That looks like the worst thing I've ever seen. And and if you've seen Alex Hermosi, I mean, this guy, he looks like he ate me and Eric. Like if you saw a video of him, he is just, he's an animal. But he posted a video. He's literally taking like one of those, you know, a huge tub of Greek yogurt. And he's like, if I'm pressed for time, I'm a busy entrepreneur, here's what I do. And he eats this whole freaking thing of Greek yogurt. And then he's like, I pour a crystal light packet in there to give it some sweetener. And I put some like, you know, Rice Krispies on the top and he mixes it up. And I really couldn't tell if he's like trolling people or this was, <laughs> this was real, but I couldn't imagine what would happen to me if I ate that. And everybody in the comments was like, I don't know, man. I, I'll follow you for business advice, but I'm not sure about this 80 gram protein bomb. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, damn, I don't know if I could put that down in like one sitting like that. No, there's no chance. There's no, or I'd be, I'd be like, it's like anytime I've tried to like bulk up or like eat more, it's just like I end up just like barely making my way my way through it. And you feel worse. What 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 I do like about Alex, and one of the things that I spend a lot of time on is like, he's very clear and concise with his communication. And I, I appreciate that in listening to someone of, he's one of the few people where if I listen to him speak for 20 minutes, there sometimes wasn't a single wasted word. And that to me, regardless of what you're speaking about, is like a telltale sign of an excellent communicator. John Maxwell is another person who sticks out to me where I could listen to him for 60 minutes and he didn't waste a sentence. And f- from my world of coaching and communicating in videos and stuff like that, I think that's a very... It's a remarkable and rare skill that they have. So anyway, not to sidetrack it, but no, I think it's great. Yeah, you're you're right. He's a good communicator. I have no I have no beefs with him. Okay, so number number one was workout. You go lift weights a couple times a week. What was number two? Number two is personal development videos. Which yep, you just watch the Jim Rohn video over and over four times a week. He said, <laughs> dude, to be honest, like I'll move around a little bit, but it, dude, that video that's the best personal development video ever created, and it's like not even close. And I think it was in like the 80s. Dude, some of his videos from the 80s are so applicable. It's the same thing now. So I'll watch that over and over. My rule is no less than 30 minutes. So some days I listen to an hour and a half. Some days it's just 30 minutes. But I, for me, mentally need to have a rule that I hit a baseline thing just for the confidence, like the win of like of doing it, whether I feel like it or not. Are you doing something? Like I'm assuming you're not just like sitting down. Like are you are you around the house? Are you going for a walk? Like what are you doing while you're while you're watching this or listening to it? Yeah, I started just sitting and listening to it, and I couldn't. That didn't last long. So I do it now when I do my like I have like thirty to sixty minutes of like admin work per day. So I'll do it like you know listening to emails, YouTube comments, 
that sort of stuff. It's on in the background. You're banging out emails and, and responding to Instagram DMs and community stuff. And, and that's just kind of like there. Yeah. I just figure if nothing else, I'm like shoving good stuff in my brain every, you know, every morning to start. And I like to do that first thing, like right off the bat. One of the things I've adopted unintentionally with that then is like, I wake up at five 30. I don't then get on my phone until seven 30. So like, I'm not on my phone for two hours in the morning reacting to something, which has helped. So that's a little side thing, but I'll do the, um, personal development video. I'll do like an hour worth of like admin stuff, like I mentioned. And then from there it's evolved over time. And to be honest, one of the things that if I could talk to myself five years ago, I spent a lot of energy on like efficiency and tax and like delegating stuff. And, you know, as of this past year, I, I sort of have gotten to the point where things are so efficient, systemized and delegated where like I've removed all of my work, which is interestingly been, um, like a learning process for me. We're like super busy and not busy enough or equally as bad for me. So that's that I'm like learning right now, you know? Yeah. I talk to a lot of like, I mean, I'm the same way and I talk to a lot of entrepreneurial type people and it's the, it's like the same control freak type a, like need to learn everything and do everything that like gets you here is also the thing that like prevents you from scaling and like you eventually kind of run up against this you bump up against this wall where you're like you're not able to spend time on like the deep thinking and the, or the creative stuff or the things that really matter because you're just like you got a huge youtube business you have a huge content business you have a you know a successful platform but like you can't be in the day-to-day -day weeds of that but like once you can actually trust others and train them and coach them it's like that always does you always do reap the benefits of that. But I think it's hard for some, even hard for me still to scale some things because I'm like, ah, it's just easier if I do this myself, you know? I had that same issue and I'm so far on the other end of it now. I think that I recognized it where it's like, I've taken so many tasks off my plate that I'm in an interesting phase that we're talking at this moment of like, I'm coming up on my end of my three-year goals. I need to set new three-year ones. So like we've kind of, I've checkmarked a lot of boxes you know, and sort of at an interesting spot of I need to come up with some new stuff. So that's related to like what my day's like now compared to what it used to be. When I was building my business, big time in the beginning, it was like coach all day, film a video or two, work on the business all day. I mean, that was, it was a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., seven days a week, you know, no days off. I used to talk to a lot of golf coaches who'd be like, you know, I work seven days a week all day. And I'm like, what does that really mean? That means you give a lesson or two in the morning, you take a break, you go hit balls, you play, give us a two. I'm talking like, you know, teaching really on it. So I did seven days a week, 12 hours a day, actually, for probably the first five or six years of like 2015 to 20-ish. It doesn't look like that anymore, you know, but that's not what my dream lifestyle was. When I built those goals, my dream lifestyle was not work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. It was work you know, I like working really hard from like 7am to 12 o'clock and like crushing something and then having freedom from there. I, I like that, you know? Yeah. I think you need that to not have the day so structured and planned is, is important. Um, you mentioned you don't look at your phone from 5.30 to 7.30. And I, I think that's a great, some days I do it, some days I don't. I believe all of it. I'm a big Ryan Holiday fan and he always, you know, talks about that and, and blah, blah, blah. How do you, this is a silly question, but people will ask this. How do you get in the content and like, you know, you're at the gym, you listen to music, you listen to podcasts, you go and listen. Are you just on your computer versus not on your phone? Or are you just not, not checking social media and not checking email? Cause you, you probably are listening to something, right? I'm not, I'm not. Yeah. So that, that's one of the, my keys is like, when I go to the gym in the morning, I don't take my phone with me. It stays, it's in like a little thing by my bed. 
So when I go to the gym, there's music on, you know, in the gym, but I don't listen to anything. I do that's that like 45 to 60 minutes for me in the morning is such like a, it's a think time. Like I'm going through, it gives me freedom for that time to think about stuff. My workouts aren't as good because I don't have like music blaring in my ears, but I think I think more. And then when I come home, I'm on my laptop. I'll go on my laptop, but I won't pull my phone out just because, I mean, you know how to, I mean, it's the same stuff. It's like, I, if I wake up and open my phone and there's a text about something that's like, I got to put a fire out and I just woke up. Yeah. Yeah. A perfect example of this. I did this this morning. I got young kids. My daughter, she gets up at six. We got, she got, we got to get her ready to go to school. I'm sitting on the couch, just kind of hanging out with her. I'm looking at my phone. Next thing you know, this morning I'm in my email. I got an email from this person. It made me angry. <laughs> a work related thing and I I couldn't like not touch it and so I wrote back this long you know I and then all of a sudden I'm like deep inside of me I'm like fired up now and I'm like wait a second what it's 618 like your body doesn't need this and I, I when I have that discipline of doing what you say man you just feel so much better like when you get to like nine o'clock and I've had my coffee and I'm just like <sighs> then I get to email it's way different Today is a good reminder. I got to get back on my on my discipline. So you got the workout. Number two is the self-development stuff. What's number three? Essentially, it's meditation that I call mindfulness. So I started doing a, um, oh man, I'm blanking on the name, Lakiani Mind Mind Valley. Hmm, I don't know. Six-phase meditation is what the YouTube video is called. And uh, it basically runs you through a different meditation thing. So I, I do that every day. That includes like getting present, being aware of senses, breathing, gratitude, and then visualization. So I used to read about that stuff. That was like hokey pokey to me of like manifestation and visualization, stuff like that. It is unbelievable how – now, this is keeping in mind what we talked about before. I've been visualizing what I want in the future every single day for the past like six years. So I didn't do it once. I, didn't, I don't do it once a week. I do it every single day. I have everything that I visualized. It's dude, it sort of gets in a weird place where it's like, if I visualize it, I get it. And then it's almost like a weird, like, what am I not visualizing that I could have gotten or could get? You know what I mean? That I'm not like, yeah, if you push yourself, it's like the Jim Rohn thing is like you, Jim Rohn's whole thing about like goal setting, right? Is like you want to set big ass goals because if you set big ass goals, they work as magnets and they like they will pull you there. And so, like, we used to think about this from, from a company standpoint, and we used to talk about like, Okay, well, if we set the company goal of $1 million in revenue, we're probably going to come close to one. But let's say we set the company goal to $10 million in revenue. We might miss 10, but we land at seven. Initially, our goal would have been one. I think you can, you know, you can kind of do that the same way for anything that you're working on. No doubt. And see, like, if I would have heard that before I experienced it myself, it doesn't hit the same, you know, but like you and I, like, have you done that before? I've set so many goals that I 10x just because. And I got 60% of the way. And like you said, it's wildly better than where I would have been with the lower goal. Way better. Also, the other thing that I think I'm realizing that I'm talking to you that that's important is like, I think in such a digital world and I'm like, me talking to you today is like a, a reminder for me to get back on more on discipline on some of this stuff because especially with a business where your business is so digital, you're on YouTube, you're on social media. I mean, you deal with trolls and comments and all that nonsense all the time because you're at that certain scale. That could easily run your life if you don't have the discipline to like, it's almost like this is your operating system to like put your mind and body in the right state to be able to go and deal with that and be happy and successful. There's no doubt about it. And I think that mindfulness is huge for me with that. Going through that six phase meditation, every single one of these pillars are huge things, right? Like that mindfulness and then reading I put in there, you know, is the next one. 
that's just a daily discipline, 20 pages a day, no matter what, figure it out. Physical book or Kindle? Always physical. I could debate on that though, but that, that I would, I, I like the physical. And then I put in mobility. I used to stretch and do mobility once a week. And it like, I felt so good and brain, like how I thought and how I felt that I just decided to make that a daily thing as well. A lot of these things you'll see, which is my sixth thing. When I look myself in the mirror, like six years ago, and I'm like, what do I not have? And what do I lack that these successful people have? It was abundantly clear for me that it was embrace fear, build discipline, embrace fear, build discipline. When I felt fear, I wouldn't act for my whole life. And I just lacked discipline in those key areas. So I try and put these habits in that are like, not full David Goggins, but like half David Goggins of just like, and you know this, but the little confidence build that like I get from just doing those daily things affects everything else. Yeah. The feeling of waking up at 530 and working out and coming back home or doing whatever you're doing and at 730 and you you know, you've already done that. You feel like you have a leg up on on everybody else. I think that's it's momentum. It's like, it's, it's no different in golf. Like we're just like momentum builds. It is the same thing. And in, in this, you stack those habits on top of each other and it makes a huge difference. And one other thing I just want to say on that, Dave, quick, is I think like all these things in mind, I've been a habitual quitter my whole life. If I'm being honest, I would do something, quit it. If I had a hard time, I'd quit it. I'd jump around and quit stuff. So I always do these things in mind of like, what are the simple basic things that I could do that I could do forever that I have a good chance of doing? Like all those things I mentioned, we all could carve out time for that. You know, it's doable. It's not like post a hundred piece of content a week. Like for me to start out and thinking about that is wild. So for me, it's like, okay, I could post one YouTube video a week for the next 10 years. Is that reasonable to do? You know, I think that as a baseline for me has really, really helped and not be overwhelmed with. That's the thing with Gary that I was tough for me. I'm like, dude, love you. Love this, love this message. But like me here in hundred, like I'm not even going to start. That's so far out. You know what I mean? But like I can post my discipline is we film once a week. We film two YouTube videos every single Monday for like six years. Like, okay, I can I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, that's like a system. It's it's a reasonable system. You're you know that every Monday we're gonna do this and we're gonna build from there. You haven't gotten there yet, and um it's okay if you if it's personal, you don't want to share, but like what do you think the as you think about where you are today, what what does the next five, like the next three to six year plan, like where where do you wanna be? Where is this going? Yeah, I, I hope in three years I'm gonna I'll look back at this particular interview like this of where I didn't have certainty in it and kind of look back and smile with where things were at. To be completely honest and open, a lot of our business stuff I set with like financial targets to hit and this lifestyle stuff to hit that I'm now hitting. That it's the classic like you win the super you you try and your whole life to win the Super Bowl then you win the Super Bowl and then you're like what am I what do I do now you know. So I have some big picture things that I want to do. Like I do want to shift into personal development. I want to continue to build what we're doing, our golf things. But I would be lying if I said like my golf is going to be my number one thing forever. You know, I, I want to build and what we're building is trying to build a team of people where what we're doing can live on beyond me and me and not just be based around Eric Cogorno, but be based around a team of people and, and, and process and system, et cetera. So that means like over the next few years, I need to recruit more talent. You know, we need to put more training systems in place. We need to keep building what we're doing. With a subscription model, as you know, it just gets to be a math thing. How many people at what price? How often can we price is what value we're adding? But you think it, you you have a vision beyond golf? When you talk about yeah. a team and, and like you see this more shifting into the golf is what got you here, but you see you want to help people 
get better in some way and you have content and a team around that? Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. That's the idea. And like, dude, back to the coaching thing where I'm like standing on the range, helping someone, you know, fix a top shot. I want to have more impact than that. Like the stuff we're talking about right now is like the stuff that turns me on. Like I, I like this sort of conversation a lot, Yeah, but part of it's like, I've always liked it, but a 27 year old me with no experience, it's like the life coach when you're 20, you're like, all right, dude. (laughs) So like, I'm like, all right, I need to build this, or at least I perceive my belief, whether it's correct or not, is I need to build something worth talking about so that people buy into it. Like when you watch me do a golf video, you're bought in, you, maybe you see my swings good. You know, it comes, it's articulated well, but there's some proof behind the pudding. So yeah, I think personal development, man, is the, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like at this point in time. Like, do you think there's a particular like niche that you would, that you would focus on? Or is it just like, Hey, you want to get better follow Eric and his team? Yeah. So as I think about this, I think there's a couple of things that I'm, I'm really into that I'd like to help people with. One is like creating a dream lifestyle, dream life slash lifestyle, lifestyle by design sort of stuff. Financial freedom would be another big one. And then personal development, self-improvement. So I'm going to do this at the end of this year, like this exercise and write it down. But those couple of pillars, yeah, I was just talking, I was looking at doing this yesterday is like the dream life, the financial freedom, the personal improvement, and the the impact. Like, um, I think anyone, regardless of where they're at, could sit down and concoct, what would your dream life look like in five to 10 years? And then from there, how would I get that with financial freedom? And so to me, that's a worthwhile goal for any person. Totally. I'm in a similar place lately uh, where I've accomplished a, enough where we have financial freedom. And I'm, I'm saying to my wife like yesterday or like last week, I'm like, I'm, I think I'm having like a midlife crisis. And she's like, well, you're, there, it's not a midlife crisis. But she's like, yeah, you're having something because exactly what you're talking about, which is like the the income, the the financial, the whatever stuff has has happened. And now I'm like, what do I need to do? (laughs) And this podcast is like the first piece of that, which is like, I don't know where this is going. I just want to talk to interesting people. And this is like, man, I'm so happy how this, this turned out. This is like, oh shit. Like this is a sign that like, this is the right move. Like, cause I could have had the first interview and some people are just not fun to talk to on podcasts. And it's like next question. And I think this is a sign. So I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, we got to talk about golf cause I'm not going to let you off the hook without talking about golf. So I want to get better. I want to get actually, uh, the phrase that I say in my head is actually good. And what that means is a swing that can hold up in any circumstance. And I'm I'm, right now I'm I'm down to a three. Still not real to me though, because when I'm in a tournament or when I get nervous, there is that I'm going to blow one OB ball. You know, I go back to my old tendencies. And so obviously you don't know much about, about that, but like where, how do you approach that? Because there's so much, there is so much, like you're the perfect example of, man, you have a thousand videos, you know, you got every, you got everything. Like, I feel like sometimes that you try to boil the ocean and, you know, is it like, do you redo the swing? Is it, is it basic things to work on? Like, give me a playbook if you can to like taking that next step. And I'm sure you talk to a bunch of people that are at the same point, but it's not real to me until I can, my game can travel. You could call me up one day and be like, let's go play band and we're going to travel there. Boom. I'm going to go there and shoot 73. But today we could go there and I could shoot 73 or I could shoot 87. Yeah. So step one of that is, is getting specific coaching. Meaning if I called you and I was like, Hey, I want to improve our marketing plan and, and advertising, et cetera. And I was like, where do we start? You probably would be like, well, what are you currently doing? Where are you at right now? And so I think if you worked with a co- any golfer who's like, Hey, I want to improve. 
a coach needs to be involved, in my opinion, expert who could look at your swing and your game and identify the elephants. Hey, this one, two, three things you're doing are clearly causing A, B, and C. Give me something specific about your game or swing. Fat shot. Over the top. Over the top. Like, it's cool because I've, I've gotten some coaching and I can diagnose myself now a little bit where I can watch a video and I can clearly see this, this over the top move that if I'm really being intentional about it and working on in the range, I need to come from inside out and I'm coming from outside in. And that, that just, even if I'm hitting it great on the course, I'll look at my divot and I'll know that that was an over the top swing. And it's like, that's the number one thing. And so I'm just, the problem is I've gotten good enough where I can go and compete and play with this game that it's hard for me to like, if you could give me a magic wand, I would say I would redo my whole swing right now and let's, let's hit a draw and let's have this nice inside out swing. But like, I haven't, you know, had the balls to like, to do that. Yeah. Sometimes a whole redo is the play. Sometimes you just have to, you, you fill a couple of holes, you know, and then all of a sudden the thing looks a lot different. So to me, it would depend on that over the top. Like what outcome does that result in pulls, fades, poor contact? Like what specifically happens when you do that, that messes you up? The most common is just like the fan, like the, you know, the, the weak, the weak, right? Like sometimes I'll hit a drive that's 300 yards and then sometimes I'll hit one that's like 247, just like off the heel, dead right OB. Then there's the ultimate killer, which is I also have the dead left miss, which is like sometimes that right miss stays in play and we get lucky and we're okay. And it's just really short and far back. The left dead pull is just, that's the absolute killer for me. So that, that's a perfect example, right? Because it's like the over the top is only a problem because it gets to those two things, which is your two-way misses, the pool left and then the weak like over curve right. So I see that a lot. It's very common. So step one would be like diagnosis. Hey, I want to get rid of these shots. Why are they happening? You already know, okay, I'm over the top. Then the next step is how do you fix that? Because you could fix over the top 10 different ways. You know, I could have 10 right, different Right, well, so this is where I'm stuck because the initial hypothesis was the reason that I'm coming over the top is because I'm not making a, I don't know how to use my hips and I'm not making a, a hip turn. And so I can see when I'm, when I'm making a good turn that I do kind of can get inside. However, the more that I'm learning, I watch a lot of your stuff. I watch a couple other guys. Like I do think there's a whole other element, which is like wrist angles and pulling down on the handle. And now I'm like, shit, like, is it both of those things? And I, I'm at a loss. And it could be both of those things. It could be more things than that. So I think I wouldn't look at it as like a binary, I must find the one thing. There could be eight holes in my plan, right? It could be lack of hip turn. It could be wrist angles. So I, what I would do is have a list of here's all the reasons why I come over the top and then just systematically start to knock them out. And if you're with a coach who's an expert, they could help you, A, make sure those are the right things. B, which ones are the biggest priorities? So let's say it's hip turn and wrist angles, well, the hip turn happens earlier, right? That's the first thing that happens. So that you have to get that first, right over period of time. And then there's the wrist angles. Okay, let me let me do that along with that. Now, the second key is swing mechanics only part of the game, right? Like I can have this perfect speech in the mirror, but at some point in time, I got to step on stage and I got to talk to people, right? And so like, how do you get good on at speaking in front of 10,000 people? How do you go get good at traveling to, to band and playing courses? You, you got to get on stage, right? You got to You got to play on the course. So how you practice those things would be equal as effective. Diagnose correctly, put the plan in place. And then there's like a system of practice that we could probably talk more in depth at a different time of like how you, we have a perfect practice plan video. It's a four part practice plan. It's 80 balls divided into four 20 ball sets. So like you should do your swing mechanics and then you have to take that main feel, hip turn, swing from inside, whatever it is, and go through your bag with a full routine, with a target, with a consequence 
to take that one feel that you'd play golf with. Most people work on swing mechanics and they don't do like you have to have a curve and a miss with that that you could play golf with like in the interim right off the bat. So there's like some sort of like transfer practice, like how quickly should I go from my speech in front of the mirror to on stage as quickly as humanly possible? Like, okay, maybe there's 10 people there and then a hundred. So anyway, there's some like specific stuff. I don't know how much, much you want to dig into that, but there's some uh, better training philosophies to do that outside of just diagnosing the swing stuff. Yeah, no, I like that because I think it, that's the other thing is like, I love golf. I don't want to, I don't want to like not go play and not go score. And so I think like giving yourself like this, well, A, I like how you break it down, which is almost like the way you approach your, your personal life, which is like, it can't just be like this made up thing. It's like, let's write this down. And so I even like, I'm going to take this exercise of like, let's write those six things down and let's go smash each of those and go work on them or come up with a system for it. But yeah, because you, you, it's so easy to go from the range where everything is perfect and it's it's not real because you can hit it anywhere and then it doesn't go, you can't go take that out onto the course. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that get, or gals or whoever, right? They get really good with the wrong swing. How do you approach like hitting balls versus playing? Because I was in a period like, I say early in the summer, range all the time, all the time. And then I was like, you know what? I got to just, even though I know this is not right for right now, I got to just go play because there's a whole element of like, it's just different between like getting the ball in the hole and then doing it with the perfect inside out swing. Do you, how do you talk people through the balance of that? Yeah. So guys like you and me, and a lot of us like a yes, no, black, white, this, that answer to things, which I'm the same exact way. But the, the reality is there's often degrees of which, right? So it depends largely on when they're playing good with a bad swing, how bad is it? What specifically is going on? What's their routine, et cetera. But here, here's some general things I've found that work well. In terms of swing mechanics, our recommendation is to practice with one club when you're doing it. 20 to 30 reps per session is a nice uh, amount to do. And it's frequency over duration, meaning in like a 30-day span, your goal should be to get as many sessions in as possible not necessarily as many reps as possible. Now, those 20 to 30 reps, we do practice swing, practice swing, hit a ball, check video, right? So it's rehearse, rehearse, hit, check video. So you don't just hit a ball. You don't, like you do two practice swings with a rehearsal, you hit and then you get immediate feedback. And that immediate feedback should make the time it takes to fix your swing shorter. So if I hit a ball and I see a video right away that's not correct, I should go right in and do the next one. Most the problem with golf is feel versus real. You feel one mile, it changes one inch. That's reality. We just have to accept that and get back in there. So if you felt one mile and your swing went from over the top to way over the top to still a little over the top, you're like, holy shit, I feel like I'm swinging from inside. Who cares? Who gives a shit? You didn't do it enough, right? You got to feel, oh my gosh, inside. So the faster you can do that, the faster it's going to go. Now, if you had to feel, oh my gosh, inside on the range and you go through the course, what do you need to still feel? Oh my gosh, inside. Yeah, because you know that it's right. I think that's what, to your point about like having the video is like, no, I just watched it. That is right. It feels like crazy, but I'm watching it on video and it's beautiful. Like you gotta, you gotta bottle that up and go do it. Take the opinions out of play. It is what it is, right? You, me, Tiger Woods. So, uh, rehearse, rehearse, hit, check video, 20 to 30 reps. Frequency or duration is huge. Like a lot of us, and this is logistics of life. Like if you're going to spend 60 minutes practicing, most people will practice once per week for 60 minutes. And that's wildly ineffective. You'd be much better off doing 10 minutes a day, six days in a row. It's the same exact thing as working out, right? Which is like, I used to go nuts and do like, go to CrossFit and would go two, three times a week. And it would be this insane hour and a half workout. I'm in better shape now by doing like almost micro workouts which is like 30 to 45 minutes, something that I can do every day. I, I love that approach, which is like, it's not... 
It's not like, oh, today's the day I'm going to the range for an hour. I'm going to go bang balls and work on this thing. It's like, nope, every day I'm going to get my seven iron. I'm going to do this drill for 20, 30 balls. That's kind of what you're prescribing. John Maxwell talks a lot about, about how we all want to have this got it made and you never got it made in his words. We're never going to go to the range for an hour and figure it out ever. <laughs> Ever, ever, ever. Yeah, cue me before like every round <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's never going to happen. It's it's like a garden. My, my, one of the guys I know, Brian Manziel, says a golf swing's like, it's a garden. It's a tending of a garden. The weeds always pop up. It, it requires constant maintenance. You're never going to find it in one hour. So let's just, it's fine. It's like the gym thing. You and I will be working out for the next 50 years. And we know that. We're not going to go work out on Thursday and find a routine that's like, that's it. We're good. We're golden. We're set for life. Yeah, there's no end game. There is no such thing, you know, like Adam Scott's got the best game, I guess, best golf swing in the world that I've seen. He hit like, th- uh, you, I don't know if you saw him playing the President's Cup. He was terrible. He had terrible shots here. So he got the best swing possible. I didn't see that, but I saw the memes about his outfit, which is hilarious. That was also super funny. Super nice guy. I don't mean that, whatever, but. No, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's a maintenance thing. It's a constant maintenance and, and, and growing thing. Now, there are best practices to your question. It's the mechanics. It's the diagnosis. It's that style. We do what's called, what I call it, it's a perfect practice routine, like a YouTube, you need a title. So it's like 20 ball wedge warm-up distance control. When you go to the range, you got to warm up anyway. 98 out of 100 people I work with never practice distance control, ever. Distance control, that, that's one of the things that has been, because I have time now, I can go to the range a lot. This summer, I've gotten my, my wedges dialed in, even with this wrong technique, right? Because I know the numbers now and I feel so good about like, I know what an 80-yard shot feels like. I know what a 100-yard shot feels like. And I'm like... That's why these guys get so good because they know what a, you know, especially if you're on TrackMan or something, right? You you know what a 62-yard shot is going to feel like and, and you can build those patterns. It's so super smart. And for example, for you, Dave, let's say you had a 150-yard shot. Let's just say it's a nine iron. Ultimately, what's your number one goal when you hit a nine iron? It's to hit it as close to the hole as humanly possible. That's it. Agreed? Agreed. Now, there's two factors that control how close the ball will be to the hole. What are they? Distance and direction. Uh, yep. That's it. And we spend a lot of time on direction. While distance, getting the ball whole high, is equally as important in terms of the math of how far the ball went. So we do that every practice session from 30 to 150. Most people could cut their handicap in half by just doing that habit. Just doing that habit. Then we do mechanics for 20 balls. And you always do a set number. When you go do swing mechanics, you should say, I'm going to do 20 reps no matter what, whether it went great or terrible. Most people, when it goes terrible, you go out and you're like, well, I'm going to keep hitting until I find it. My wife is home with me and she's like, uh, I'll be like, I'm going to go hit balls for 30 minutes. And I come back two hours later, just like pouring sweat. She's like, that was not 30 minutes. (laughs) And there's some value to digging out of the dirt and the reps and learning. There's no doubt about it, but it's diminishing very fast, very, very fast. All right, here's another question separate from this. Does this make any sense? Sometimes, a couple times this summer, so so one more, I, I played the best round of my life. This is the first summer that I played like competitive to your point about like, speaking in front of 10,000 people, like not at my own club, like playing local golf association tournaments, trying to qualify for AM, mid-AM stuff. I was nervous all summer about trying to qualify for the Vermont AM. The morning of the qualifier, everyone in my house is sick. I got to drop the kids off to school. The course that we're playing at, there is no range anyway. And so I was going to go to my place, hit balls, go there. I showed up 10 minutes before the tee time, no practice swings, I blacked out and played the best round of my life. Is that a coincidence or is that a fluke? I think there's multiple variables there. That likely is what's called a flow state. Like when you're actually out playing like that, like I would say that's 
that's a good question. I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that. Did I not have time to like get in my own head and like think about all the things I could? Theoretically, here's the problem with, with being like, is that something that's, that's repeatable? If, what if you did the same thing the week after and you played the worst round of your life? Which has happened. Oh, I didn't warm up today and I couldn't get it going. So that, that we can cross off the idea that like, is this a repeatable thing that's like a hack? So probably what happened is it's a bit coincidence and it's a bit flow state. Like there's definitely value to you being in like a driving state. You know, when you're driving somewhere and you're like, you're aware of where you're trying to go and you're looking at the road, but you're not really like looking at it. You're, you're not focused on it. That's a pretty effective way for our brain to like accomplish a task of any skill coordination, including golf. Now, so anytime we're over the ball and you're thinking, turn your hip swing from inside, you are getting in the way of that to some degree. But if you need that mechanical thought, like if you let your, how old are your kids? Five and three. You let your five-year-old drive and say, yeah, don't think about anything, just drive. That would be a disaster. So it's not a hundred percent just don't think about anything, right? Like that comes up a lot. Swing your swing. That, that, that goes around like, yeah, not if your swing sucks though, right? Like, so there's, there's usually phases. I think in terms of training, you're trying to get to like unconscious competence where you can just swing and it goes where you want, but where you're at is how do you get to there along the way? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, last, I could talk to you for hours, but I need, we need, we I think, I think we got to do a up. part two. Dude. We're like, Let's, hell yeah. No, I was going to ask you if, uh, can I be like a private uh, client and come fly down and, and we'll get some lessons in? Uh, we'll do a couple podcasts and solve Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, we'll make sure you're well compensated, but let's fix this guy's game. How do you, you're in Pennsylvania? You have winter? So we just moved down to, we moved down to Florida full time. Okay. All right. So I'm in Vermont. Not ideal to get better at golf in the winter. Talk me out of that. How much, how much improvement can you make indoors? Do you have like a track meet or something where you can see ball flight or no? Yes. And that solves a lot of problems. If you can see ball flight, is it as effective as outside? No. And I think you just need to be okay with that. Don't try and make it what it's not. So I think it'll be a little less effective than being outside and that's okay. And I think within that, if you would see ball flight, like I'm going to just have to show you some of our practice plans because the, the answers to a lot of this is just literally following some of these plans. Like I think you should do a wedge warm-up distance control, 20 balls mechanics, 20 ball iron grid, 20 ball driver grid. And that solves probably 80% of your, your problems. Now, if you couldn't see ball flight, are you probably going to be that good at like chipping and putting inside? You can do some stuff with, but in terms of full swing, if you got video and you have a track man, I have friends who coach in different countries and in Asia in particular, where some of them, they only go to the golf course like two or three times a year and their students are unbelievable because they spend so much time just like hitting the balls and getting the mechanics. So I can kind of counter any point I would have for either side. But I would say for you, if you have, keep the frequency up, be clear on identifying what your main swing thing is, and then be unemotional about the process of doing it the best you can. Like I'm here to do 20 reps with this drill and almost look at it like it's not you and you have no attachment to it. And just like, how do I solve this thing? Hard to do, but that's... Yeah, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. And for me, the thing that's most addicting about golf right now is yes, I want to get better, but I'm so into the it's, it's such a good hobby mentally. It, it is like a big problem that I'm trying to solve and you got data and you got strategy. It's, it's more than just like hitting balls now, which I love. Um, Eric Cagorno, this was awesome. Like blew me away with how much fun I, I had talking to you. I'm so happy that, that we did this. Just plug your stuff. Cause I want to make sure people find you. Cause I know, I know more than one person will, will want to reach out after this. So where are you all everywhere online? Eric Cogorno Golf on YouTube is probably the best way to go. We have CogornoGolf.com. But I think going to the YouTube channel would be a good start if you're into the golf stuff and want to look at that. Eric Cogorno on uh, 
Instagram, we post some stuff on there. TikTok, I guess we're trying to get rocking and rolling now too. So yeah, Eric we're going across all platforms. All right. And we'll we'll stay in touch and we'll we'll keep an eye out for the the next evolution of of you into the personal development space, which there's a lot of connections to golf, by the way. You could write your own book and that could be the branching out of that. So Yeah, this was great. Maybe a Dave and Erica podcast once a month moving forward. That'll be our both. Hey. Dude, put, I'm going to put that in writing. That would, that, that's that. We have a lot to talk about. All right, my friend. Uh, great to meet you. Great to see you around. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Eric. See you, man. All right. Bye. You're listening to Dave's podcast. Where are you, by the way? Are you in Florida? Yeah, so I'm on the East Coast by Miami, so we got luckily missed those big storms, man. It's craziness down there. We went to we were in Sanibel for a month last year, and that place is just destroyed. It's really sad. Brutal. Yeah, I think I'm gonna figure out how to head over there and see if I can uh, do something for some of these people. Like what? Like what can you do? I think just like disaster relief stuff. You know, there's so many people that are displaced over there. It's tough. It's crazy. I don't even how 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 can you get over there? Like, are they like sending like boats or something? Like, so like literally at the bottom of Florida, I'm like straight across from like where Fort Myers is. So I could get on Route Four and probably get like the majority of the way there. And then I'm sure they have like stuff set up like off site where you know they're shipping people in and stuff. All right. So today we we did it. We did a part. I I don't. I'll run. I'm going to run both of these. The first episode was just like a fun conversation about a bunch of different things, and then I basically like wrote this thing on LinkedIn where I've been thinking about like something that I'm going to do outside of the marketing space. I'm like, man, I'm really, I'm becoming more passionate about this idea of like being a solopreneur or somebody with a small team, basically just like completely outside of the regular corporate world. And like the more that I talk about that topic, man, I've posted a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, like in the last probably five years, I have a good amount of followers there. I've never gotten more messages than people about that topic, like so many people who want to go build the build their business of their own or who have done it. And I'm just passionate about this idea of like, there are other ways to create a life and generate income than like, you got to go work for somebody else. You got to do it this way. And I think you have a really cool story. So I just would love to like rewind all the way back to like now, at least in, at least in the world that I'm in, you're a well-known golf instructor, you know, YouTube educator, you've built an am- amazing following that's allowed you to build this great business. But like, where did this whole thing start? If you could just give people some background, like who you are and, and where this thing started. And I, I have a bunch of questions I want to go from there. I started, you know, trying to become a professional golfer that would like play in tournaments on TV. That was always my goal when I was in high school and early college. As I quickly realized that that me playing golf on TV was very highly unlikely, and I didn't really have any other skills other than that at the at the time. It's like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? Like, how am I going to uh, pay rent and so on and so forth? So, I started. I I've been working at a golf course since I've been like fifteen. I'm now thirty three, so I've been working in golf at some capacity. So I started picking balls in the range, five dollars and fifteen cents an hour. I'll never forget looking at that first paycheck where I was like, man, I worked a lot of hours this week, man. And I got like, I think, I don't even know what it was, under $200 or something. It's like, something's not right here. There was a moment for me that flipped it when I was in college. A guy that I took lessons from, I ended up taking lessons from, was teaching a lesson on the end of the range. Now, to paint a picture, it's like July. I'm driving one of those golf carts on the range. Our range is bumpy as shit. So I'm popping up and down. It's hot. I'm not in a great mood like that. And I'm getting $7.25 an hour. 
and I pull the cart in and I'm taking these balls out of the thing, putting them in the machine. You know, I weigh like 120 pounds. So these things are heavy for me to like get into this thing. And the, and I walked by the, the guy and he like casually made a comment that he just made $50 for a 30 minute lesson. And so I'm just doing some quick math in my head, like okay, 50 bucks. So he made a hundred dollars that hour. I made seven. How old were you? I was 18. I made seven. He made a hundred. He's standing on the range under shade. I'm driving this cart around the thing, right? So that's the part. Like a lot of people, when I talk about this, they you sort of want the answer to come from passion. Like I wanted to help people, and I, I this that next thing. For me, it was pure finances. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can teach golf and make way more money than pick balls. Well, I appreciate. I I mean, I think that's the reality. I think you can now. Now that you've been successful and you've had some success, you can like work your way. I do the same thing. Like you can work your way into the story and like, yeah, I am, I am helping people. But yeah, I think everybody's kind of primal. Most people, especially at that age, like the primal need is like, how can I generate enough income to like provide for myself? And at the le the level that I'm doing that is is not sufficient. Oh shit! I saw somebody else who who is. Let's go learn from them. Yeah, exactly. It was not at all motivated by helping other people. That was the farthest thing in, from my from my mindset at that time. So like, you know, so this hundred bucks, so I'm like, okay, how do I go from me picking balls to teaching golf? And that's where I, you know, okay, I got to go through this PGA system, education system. So that, that was a process of me like, okay, I'm going to teach golf now to make money. Did you get like a business degree and like, and, and then did you go do the PGA, like whatever it's called, PGM program? So I never ended up graduating. So I, I went to school and I was there for... Like I probably ended up doing like half the amount of credits I need to do. I was there, I left, I was there, I went back. That's a longer story in and of itself. But I effectively I went and did the PGA program. So you have to like go do all this the PGA, you know, get your pro card type of thing. So I started teaching golf as I was doing that, um, that education, working at the golf course, doing those the the book thing. And I was so like, let's get in this, let's get this done. Like that's a program that most people probably take three to five years to do. I did it in like a year. I was just like, I'm gonna crush this, you know. Is that, is that the one where you have to go, like, I know a couple like local friends in my life. Is that where you have to go do like the, the playing ability test and you got to, you know, I feel like that's a lot, that's like a lot of pressure on, on most people. Obviously if you're good at a certain level, but what, what do you have to, you have to shoot like 75 twice or something like that? Yeah, basically it's like white tees, middle pins, but it's like the pressure of it, you know, the pressure of it. So I failed my first one I did, which is kind of funny looking back upon it. I, I passed my second one. You got to do a bunch of book work. You have to go down to Florida and pass a written test. But I was like, also keep in mind, I'm doing this book work that's like, I'm at Lehigh doing like economics and physics and stuff to this like golf book work stuff. It was like, you know, it was not mentally challenging. We'll put it that way. <laughs> right. I feel like a lot of people who who can pair the business side, just like I, I grew up working at a golf course since like eighth grade. And so like, I just kind of, you see around that and it's like the the people who are in that business that also have the business acumen or entrepreneurial drive are typically like the ones who can go and create something awesome where if you just kind of, I know many golf pros who are just kind of, they're, they're pretty miserable <laughs> to, to be honest. Yeah. Mo most, most people are. That, that's another thing I'm passionate about. I think. At what point did you, do you turn this into this? Like, I, I want to get into like you turning this teaching and, and being a golf instructor and like the thing that I'm passionate about is like people who have a ex have expertise in a niche and then can like understand how to tap into that online and build this audience. And now you've built this business. So what happened for me, David, I think this is the process that is logical for most people is like step one of getting to that level is becoming an expert in your category. 
right? So if I want to go do this online stuff and create my own life and financial freedom and stuff like that, I can't just, hey, I'm going to start golfing, coaching golf tomorrow, and I'm also going to create that tomorrow. So if you if you had to like time box, like was it a decade or was it like 20 to 30? Like how would you articulate it? I would say that I spent the first conservatively five years of my career spending 100% of my focus getting really good at coaching golf. So the thing that I'm doing, that was studying golf swings, studying how to communicate, how to teach people the human body, everything related to how could I get as good as I possibly could at being a coach. And that, and that wasn't like a grand plan. That was, I started teaching golf. I sucked as you suck when you do anything. I was like, man, I don't want to suck at this. Let me start studying. And then I got obsessed with that. And I think you need to get a little bit obsessed with it to get to the level where you are, you know, a leader in the field. So I think the first phase needs to be skill acquisition, get really good at this thing. And then the second phase is like, all right, how do I maximize this or optimize this? So my first five years was just coaching one-on-one players. I charge this per hour. You pay me this per hour. Now I worked at a golf course and they got a small percentage of it, but I always, I was fortunate enough where I kind of always, I didn't have a boss being like, Hey, you need to work coach these hours. So I kind of right from you know that age, 22 could do that. Now I worked at a golf course from 15 to 22 for seven years where I did have a boss, like you got to do this, this, this. So I think the skill acquisition was five years. And then I got to a point, Dave, where five years in, I felt like, certainly not that I knew everything, but like, I'm, I'm good enough at this now where I could help anyone who walks in front of me. Like no one's going to come in for a lesson where I'm like, man, I don't know what to do here. When you got to that point, was there like a moment or maybe not one, but there was like a a feeling like, so, so for me, similar thing where like I was in marketing, I I did not set out to do this. Like I, I graduated, I got a job in marketing home. I'm, I'm kind of good at this. I get promoted. I get a raise, you know, you success around a company. For me, it was like all of a sudden I started kind of sharing my marketing lessons on on LinkedIn. It was very that was the channel. And over time I started to get like more inbound stuff. Like randomly, someone's like, Hey, will you speak at our event? Hey, will you talk to our team? And so like I'm just wondering if was there something from for, for you that was like kind of gave you that inkling, like, huh, I might be good at this. There might be something like bigger that I can go and, and do here. I think it was twofold. One, I would, I, at that point used to go shadow a lot of coaches and I'd go to a lot of education events. And I was at the point where I would go to an education event and I didn't really learn anything and, or I felt like I could be the one presenting. So that was part of it. And then I also got lucky timing wise. We're like right at that same time is right when I first came across Tony Robbins, Jim, Jim Rohn, Gary V grant. So like I had this input of like the, these people tell me to create content right as I reached that point of like, I feel like I'm getting pretty good at this. So to be honest, it was, I, I sort of feel like it was kind of a lucky timing with all that stuff. I'm actually glad. And I think this is maybe an important point too. Like if I would have heard Gary V and grant when I was in year one of coaching, I wouldn't have been ready to take actionable steps to like do the things I'm doing now. Like I needed that time to become really good at what I do first before all of this other stuff. So I think if I would have had that and I'd have been in year one and like, let me create all this content and do all this stuff. Like I'm not even that good at doing what I do yet. You know what I mean? Totally agree. I think that's, 
that's the thing that like I want people to take away is like as I talk more about like you know this type building this type of business and having this type of freedom it's like it's not some get rich it's not some get rich quick scheme like look at these people using online you know marketing to like to grow it's like no if you if you go and unpack each one of these people right whether that's you or you know last last week we talked you talked about like Alex Hermosi there's chunks of of experience that 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 you you had to build up and build up credits and then like yeah, then it hits you and you're like, wow, you know what? I've been doing this for five years. I am passionate about this. I have some ideas. Then something like a Gary Vee hits you in that moment like, oh, interesting. Could I be building my own audience and could I be exploring these digital channels? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you unpack it as like, that was a key thing to like, you know, Gary Vee has some video and uh, a lot of people love and hate him. And I, I know him, I, I, I see him for what he is and I, I think he's great. I love Gary Vee. I have no problem telling people that. But he has this one video. It's basically like, uh, "Shut the fuck up." I don't know if this is what he's like. "Shut the fuck up until you're 30." <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. looking looking back, like that's a hundred percent like the right playbook. And I know people will be upset about that. Well, I'm 26, but like for me, at 26, 27, like thought I was a shit, thought I knew everything, didn't know anything. You got to have that. So it's it's cool to hear your story from that angle. Yeah, and I think I think most people are like us. Like I, part of where we're at with culture and, and being able to share things is like you see these people who are 22 who made $10 million and you see enough of these YouTube videos of people like that and they start to become the norm. And like that is not the norm. And that's relatively unachievable for most of us. I think most people like us who could get really good at something and have complete financial freedom, it is not get rich quick, but it's get rich for sure and like at a reasonable pace. Also, I think like if if I look at your if we look at your content like on like for example, it seems like you have a I don't want to say like professional is the word, but like you you have grown without doing any of like the YouTube like stunts, right? Like you kind of like it seems to be you're like I'm delivering like methodology, like the, the like real proof, like no no gimmicks, no BS. Like you, you, that seems to be the thing that you've kind of kind of like created your brand around part of that's intentional with like the evergreen content, right? Where I'm like, how do I create a video that someone could watch forever versus like me creating something on a news event that's going on right now that people would only watch right now. So I, I want to create a YouTube video, a platform, a brand that's like a piece of real estate to me. My main investment play is commercial real estate, like multifamily stuff. And so I look at YouTube like that. How can I build something that's going to pay me for the next 50 years? What do those videos need to look like? How do you build an audience like that? So it's more, I'm across the board, a slow and steady guy. Okay, so so you you start building up this this career in golf, becoming a good teacher. You get hit with this Gary V, you know, going Tony Robbins. You get hit with that type of stuff. Then what happens? Like, what, what was the first step from there? I decide I'm going to do YouTube videos. I buy a camera. And I sit and look at that camera for like two to three months. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, uh, for, that's great. But first of all, just talk about why YouTube. I, I get a lot of questions about like which which channel, like how did you, what was the thought process that that led you to pick YouTube and commit to it? So this is 2016, 17. So it's the only platform that monetized. That'd be the first part. Monetized like without you having to do anything, like just by having your content up there, you could get paid through ads as opposed to like, how am I going to monetize? Exactly. Yeah. Like you could directly get paid through AdSense on YouTube. And it was where, so in that point, I don't think Instagram even existed. Instagram, you, we get out of here. Instagram was like 2009. This is 2016. Was it? Yes. <laughs> 
Instagram is 2009. <laughs> Instagram. I, I'm, I'm going to fact check that, but let's assume let's assume Instagram was around and going at that point. <laughs> so it, no, it was just like the platform that I was on. It was it was what people in the golf space were doing. There was like the big people in golf were posting on YouTube, right? There was no like, there was no Instagram golf, big golf person that I knew of, you know, or, or anything like that. No, that's a good, that's a frame. I was hoping you'd say that because I think it's like for people, this is not rocket science. It's like you, you saw people on YouTube are already doing this. And so I think when you're thinking about like, which channels am I going to start on? Like just, just pattern match for, for the fact checkers at home, despite Eric's wisdom on many other things, this is not one of them. Instagram, Instagram was launched on October 6th, 2010. <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> by time that was a lot. So, and, and it's also like, where's your audience at? So like, I'm trying to do videos for golfers. So if I was doing B2B stuff, different different ball game. You know, I'm doing me to golfers. So golfers are on YouTube. So yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to do a YouTube channel. I had made up my mind on that. I bought a camera. I forget what it was, what kind of camera. But I looked at it and thought about doing videos for two to three months. And I literally couldn't figure out how to get the camera on and like on me. And like I told you back then, like I was a serial quitter of things my whole life. So like very easy for me to ha have some form of struggle and then just be like, I'm, I'm giving up on this. And there's a ton of friction. Like there's a ton of friction in what you did because like, I think it's, it's one thing to like have an iPhone and like rant about a topic, but for what you were trying to do in particular, like it's, it's not easy maybe now cause you've learned, but like you got to figure out how to use the camera. You're doing golf, like you're making golf videos. It's like the frame has to be right because all of your swing is going to look different from different angles. You got to have the mic getting the audio. So like th there is, that is a not it's very underrated, like how much it takes, I think, to get to that point. Yeah. And especially then, like to your point, especially then. So yeah. And I, I, I didn't even like, I'm not even thinking about like, how was I going to edit the video or like, I didn't even cross that bridge. So who knows what would have happened. And again, here, a lucky thing, like there's some luck involved with this and then taking advantage of the luck. I meet Mary Langle, who is my now business partner for our YouTube channel. She, she came in to get a lesson. Like she came in to get a lesson. She was referred from a friend who I was teaching and she's from like the PR world, not necessarily the, the video world, but the PR world. And just sort of saw that there was something here that could be done. It was like, Hey, you ever think about doing like a golf, a show, like a golf show type of thing. And at that point in time, I was coaching full time. I used to do these group practices where I had like, 30 to 40 kids, middle school, high school, college, all in one shot. So you can imagine that environment, you know, like there's music playing, it's mayhem. So she, she was thinking like, there's a show here on TV to be had that leads to us doing YouTube videos, right? That's kind of how the story goes. So like, I'm like, I'm getting expert level. I'm hearing these experts for the first time telling me to build this brand, build this online. I decide I'm going to do it. I meet Mary. That's sort of the, the layers that happened. Do you know how many videos you've put out? I would say 1200 ish on YouTube over a thousand. It's, I mean, it's gotta be at least that. So I'm, I'm deep, I'm like way deep on your YouTube page and I'm, I'm just doing this because I think it's so relevant for people. Like all of your old videos, chipping evaluation, 234 views, chipping evaluation, 264 views, 328 views, 578 views, 320 views, 191 views. And that's, that's now after people have gone back, back and watched them and we upload them. Right, right. That's now that you have a brand. There's some long tail of like, I love Eric, like, and you've put out like so many, like if it's really wild, if you go scroll all the way back and you see the progression, like obviously, yes, they get better. The thumbnails are better. You learn, you learn what you're doing. But like for someone who you said was a habitual quitter, for some reason with this, you, you didn't give up. 
do you remember that moment? Like, do you remember putting out like 20 videos and being like, this is a ton of work and like, uh, it's not going anywhere or did it, did it just take off? I don't, I don't know. No, yeah, no, no. I, I wanted to quit this thing no less than 20 times. Like, and honestly, for me, what I've learned of how I am, and I think everyone's different. I know that I like to quit things. So I partner with people and like, I'll have an accountability person. Like, the fact that I had a partner, Mary, who was there with it, I had someone I needed to do it with was huge. I would have quit if I was by myself. There's no doubt about it. Did she like learn video production and editing? Like was she the one doing the editing and stuff? Yeah. And just as as we went and we're like, hey, we'll split. We'll do like a profit share here. Basically, I'm coaching all day. You need to come during this 30-minute block that I have for lunch. We'll film. You figure out how to get the video out. And that's what we'll, you know, that's, that's what we'll do. And did she believe that it could be this successful? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I got to imagine like she's, you know, she's making a nice little chunk of revenue now and, and yeah, it worked out good. And like she, I mean, she had to be willing to essentially work for free. I mean, we made no money for the first 12 months. Right. It kind of like flips over time right now. It's like you, you can print money and you can do more things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was 12 months of her filming, editing, posting videos for $0. Like she came in and got a lesson and I think she was really she just was kind of blown away by the experience, which is great, you know? And, and, and so that's what I mean, right person, right time like that. So her willingness to work that long for free and have that clarity of vision was huge. This guy that I work out with, he's like a former baseball player. His dad is a bodybuilder and he has a gym and he got really into golf. And so he does like TPI and all that stuff. And I'm like, Every week, I'm like, dude, you sh you should be like famous on you. You could be building your own business on YouTube, but it's, you know, I I have that experience with like everybody. I'll go to like a chiropractor. <laughs> this is like where my mind goes. I'm like, you could be doing this, but it's so. I think people just have the the gap between like thinking about it and like taking that first step, and it seems to be like your personality is like momentum like let's let's shrink this down and like let's take a small step like did you do you remember like what between you and mary like did you did you like say like we're gonna publish two videos a week and how what was the actual like video creation process look like yeah i think quick to that to that point of like it's hard to go from you telling someone to do it and them doing it i think a hack is to find someone that could do it you could do it with so I, ideally you have money and you could just hire you you have a little bit of budget and you could hire somebody to do it yeah. Or, or, or like find someone who's like, maybe it's not a complete rev share thing like that, but yeah, like someone where they get a bigger piece of the upside as you go and is willing to do some work for less in the beginning. So yeah, the, the video per week thing, you're right. I, that, that, that's, that is what I'm good at. It's like breaking it down to a simple, actionable step. And then like, I will do this for the next hundred years without stopping type of thing. Once I'm in, like once I'm in it. So yeah, in the beginning, I think it was a little bit random in terms of how much we posted. It was like, let's do one a week. Like the non-negotiable is one a week. And then one a week turned into two. And then we started having some success at about the 12 month mark. We made like a couple dollars, like the, uh, the audience was growing a little bit more. And then we started doing three. And for the majority of our lifespan, it's been three a week, every Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday at 10 AM, like non-negotiable, no matter what those videos go up. And we've sat at our table when we were it's a little different now, but we would film every Monday from 12 to two. And then we'd meet, you know, for like an hour to two hours and just sort of strategy action stuff. And every single meeting would kind of be let off with that, which is like, no matter what happens, so long as we post these three videos per week, everything else is secondary. Like that is the foundation to what we're doing. And 
yeah, then from there, I'm just committed to that. And we still do that. Like if you look at the channel, it's Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, three videos a week, 10 a.m., non-negotiable. And then you just, you, you know, like you learn, like you said, if you look at those first videos, when we would post those up, dude, 30 views, 40 views, 50 views, and then it was like a hundred. I remember the first video I got a thousand. Yeah, you think you win the lottery type of deal. <laughs> and then you get like one video pop off for 10,000. I remember the first video we did that was a hundred thousand. I was like, what dude, like a hundred thousand. How do you think that happened? I think relentless energy spent on just getting better at what we're doing. So like the coaching thing was a good example, right? Where I was like, I started coaching because I wanted to make money. I coached, I was really bad. And then I got obsessive for five years about getting good at coaching. So now we put a video up. It wasn't really good. I don't like to not be good at something. So then we got like, like obsessive about how do we get better at these videos? And there's a million adjustments from video one to video 1000, obviously that happened. Did you literally go from like, the, until you hit, until you had that one video that hit a hundred thousand, like the highest video you ever had was a thousand. And then was it like in, in, in days or weeks? Like when did the hundred K video, like what was the time frame? I guess. It was slower. It was like, I think we did a one, we, we, we had like a 10,000 viewed video, you know, maybe after a year. And then there was like a 20,000, then a 40. So it, it was gradual. We, we didn't have any of these, like this video went viral out of nowhere. Did somebody in, influential or bigger than you in the space like shout you out somewhere or was it straight up through like YouTube search and algorithm? What happened was we were filming me doing a lesson and like documenting for like 12 months because that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, I don't want to do this bullshit like clickbait tip video shit, right? And we're doing it for 12 months. I'm putting these videos out and I'm like, damn, dude, like these are good videos. Like the stuff I'm saying within them would really help someone, but no one's watching. So I went on, I looked at the top like four guys in the category. It was like Mark Crossfield, Rick Shields. And I think um, Clay Ballard was up there and I'm missing someone, but it does, it, there was a couple guys that were up there. And I was like, okay, let me look at their most viewed videos and what they're doing. And every one of them was the same. It wasn't them giving a lesson. It was them giving a tip. And everyone was like, this thing will gain you 30 plus yards instantly. Some kind of you know, bullshit. And then it's like, whoosh, you know, like they smash a drive and then the intro music comes. And they... Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> And, 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 and it's all, it was all the same thing. So I'm like, well, why do I like, all right, I'm going to just do this. And so literally that week when we filmed, I was like, all right. And Mary had been telling me like, let's do tip stuff. I just didn't want to hear it. We filmed three, three videos that week. First tip videos. First one was like, this one move will gain you 30 plus yards. The second one, it was like clickbaity stuff. And then a switch flip, like it was boom, like almost the next week like that. And then that's when we got the 10, then the 20 and then, and then it just the momentum. Like, so over time, obviously views of your videos grow, you start getting kickback from, from YouTube. Did you layer in like sponsor or any other type of like monetization before? Like, I want to get to the membership site, but like, what was step one income from YouTube is just a straight up AdSense revenue. What was the step two? Yeah. So our AdSense, I would say was like $0 for 12 months, a few hundred dollars a month from year one to year two. And then at that point, it's probably a thousand, two thousand, three thousand a month in like year three, and then it's like five thousand a month in year four, and now you know we'll do ten grand a month in AdSense. You know, kind of typically is kind of where we're at now. The second revenue source from YouTube was affiliates, so we would do like affiliates for training aids, basically, and we we would have a few of those. Which, which over time has grown a lot. Like our affiliate revenue that we do from that has grown a lot, like us promoting a, um, a trading aid. How does that happen? The brands brands come to you? 
Yep. Th- th- those were all they would they would email us. Since ne- since then, now we have a team who like does some outreach to other brands as well. So that's shipped a little bit in the beginning. They would reach out to us. Once we did a couple of those affiliate deals, you know, th- then in uh, two years ago, we started doing paid ads in the video. So a company could just pay us a set fee to be featured in a video, like an ad mid roll. I don't love doing that, you know, to be frank, like I, I uh, it is what it is. So we, we, we start doing those, but then I saw like, man, if we sell a training aid, take no upfront money and do pure commission based and really put like a good promo together, like that sort of revenue can be really high. And is the promo like separate from the video or it's, or it's in the video? Like you'll be teaching something and like the, the tool that you're using to help teach that technique is some training aid. We'll do both, we, you know, we, but both. I've found that like selling something within a video is something that I think we've gotten pretty good at, like putting an actual promotion together. And so I think if I do a, a separate ad within the video and kind of line up what the offer is and make it like irresistible, that helps. So we'll do some of those. So yeah, so AdSense, and then that'd be the first one that built slowly over time. And then affiliates was number two, and then sponsors would be the third thing. And then obviously the membership site was like the main thing. And the, your ad, like you, you can control that. So like, it doesn't matter what's in the, it doesn't matter to YouTube. You can, you can pick a sponsor. You, you just can do that all yourself. There's no impact to the algorithm or, or like how they, how they view your video. If you, if you put sponsored content in there. You can do whatever you want. I mean, there, there's some like, um, you know, the big things on YouTube are click-through rate and then average view duration. So like click-through rates, just thumbnail and title. And then average view duration, that can get hurt a little bit if you put an ad in there and like people don't want to, you know, they see the ad and they click off. So you got to be strategic about like where you put in the video and there's some little strategy behind that. Well, it depends on how you do it. I think you have a really good niche to do it like in a good way where it's like it adds value. Like I think somebody like Casey Neistat and I love him, but like, you know, all of a sudden he's like, he'll hit you with like the Nord VPN, like ad or whatever, like before the video. And it doesn't like you, you could do it more. Like if you're giving a lesson and we're, you're talking about, you know, wrist angle or something and you have some wrist trainer, like, I think that something like that works great. And most people probably wouldn't even know, you know, like, okay, cool. This dude, this dude that I trust is teaching me to, is telling me to go buy these things. So you're in year four or five. When did you start thinking about the membership site? How did you get the idea for that? And and take me through like the creation of that. So dude, it was kind of the same thing where it's like, and this is why I'm so like manifestation and visualizing your goals and stuff. Again, this is all happening around this, like I'm listening to Jim Rohn stuff. So personal development's getting introduced to me. So I'm starting to like configure what my dream lifestyle looks like and how much money I'm going to need to do that, yada, yada. And I'm doing the math on that stuff. And I'm going to long end my my way back to your answer there. I'm doing the math on like what I need to hit these sort of things. And it's just relative to what I could make teaching lessons. It's just astronomical. Like there's just no way I could get to my financial freedom numbers just given one hour lessons. And so I'm going through all these other like, how could I get there? What could I do? And the only thing I could figure out that would make sense was a like a monthly recurring revenue model. That was the only thing that like I could see this building over time where I actually actually make. So my number we talked about previously was always a hundred grand a month. So I'm like, all right, do the math on the hourly lessons. Like that's just not attainable. But I'm like, all right, well, if a thousand people pay me this, you know, that whole thing. What if 2000 people pay me this? As I'm thinking that these guys who were watching these, watching our videos, send me a message like, Hey, we're these guys, you know, we, we want to build a membership site with you and partner with you to build this, build you out a membership site. It's just like, dude, when I was starting to think of the YouTube videos, I met Mary. 
I think there's a reason for that though. I, I, I felt the same way. Like I've been able to build an incredible business by myself. And it's like, when you put, I think it's something about internet and social media and like those people like find their way to you. And so like through my marketing community, I found, hey, I'm working on this project. Does anybody know how to edit YouTube videos? I could have 10 people that could email me you know, tomorrow. And it's like, you, you build this, you build this advantage. So that that's wild. So somebody who had subscribed to your stuff and like already, and it also, it also works better when they already know versus you're shopping around trying to get somebody. It's like in the Mary case, she already knew you, she knew what you're doing. So she's going to be great at helping edit, edit videos. These people reach out about building a membership site. It's not a cold outreach. They clearly know your stuff, right? I, I love that. I think it's just a testament to like, if you take the risk and start putting stuff out there and putting content out there, not to like channel all the Gary V stuff, it's not just like magic, but you do kind of attract like-minded people who come and, and want to work with you on stuff. I think it's another huge advantage of that. That's great. Everything I've ever done worthwhile, the, the person has come to me. Every single one. Every single one. Now, I think like you, I put the videos out, I put myself in the position. And then I think, I think when you start to think about these things and you're aware of them, like these opportunities are always out there. It's just in front of mind. Like it just becomes aware of them. So anyway, I meet these guys. This is in 2018. So we're like two years into probably uh, doing videos. Long story short, they fly up. We go over things for a couple months. We, we, we build a site out. We filmed like 300 videos. I remember like, gosh, it was like 100 degrees three days in a row. Not a great experience. But we, we filmed like 300 videos in like three days. Got this site built up and launched it, you know, I think October of 2018. So t just take me back to before recording those videos. Like, what was the plan? Like, we're going to get a website and basically just jam it full of, like, did you, are you drawing out frameworks and and how did you figure out what, what, what content was going to be in there? That point in time, there was like two people in the golf space who had a membership site. So we just, same sort of thing. Like, I've found success when I, A, partner with someone and B, model someone else's success. So, okay, now I have, a, I have a website partner. Okay, good. We're going to follow through with this. And then who else has done what I'm about to do and how, what can we learn from that? You know? And so we looked at how they had their membership site and it's effectively like there's three pillars to it, right? One was content. It's like a content library, some step-by-step -step learning. Two was community, which was like the big selling point for them. Uh, that was more rare in our golf space. And then three was coaching, personalized coaching content, community, personalized coaching. We're like, okay, if we can hit these three things good, the coaching and the content gets them in the door, then the community is like the stickiness, right? Like that's a lot of, for a lot of people, what keeps them month after month, year after year. So that, that was our plan. Film the content library, boom, have that in, build the community as the members come in, and then we'll provide them ongoing coaching once they're in there. And it sucked filming that for three days, right? I was not a happy human being for a couple of days. Are you happy now? You know what? I'm, I'm happy that we did it. I think there's a million things I would have done different, but like anything else, it takes going through that. Like it takes going through and filming all that stuff. Can you share some of those things? Cause I think I talked to a lot of, like a lot of people are interested in that. Like I'm, I'm a PT, I'm a yoga instructor. I'm a, mar a B2B marketing expert or whatever. I got 50 ideas. I could build a membership site. Like wh what's, what are some of the things that you wish you used if, or if you, if I was like, Eric, I'm going to go build a membership site now, what would you, what would you say? The first thing is less is more. I think most of us out of insecurity want to do too much content. Like, okay, if I have 3000 videos, obviously I can charge 20 bucks and not feel bad about it. So well, you don't need a 3000 videos. Like I'm going to cut our content library by 50% within the next year. 
Number two is like people always buy on value from my experience in the golf space. Meaning like if the thing I'm giving them is in my mind worth $200 a month and I'm selling it for 50 a month, but it is genuinely worth 200, not like I build a bullshit value list and then chop the prices actually worth 200. Then it's very easy to sell it. Like it's harder in the beginning when you build a site and you're not that confident in it, you then are not going to sell it. And if you don't sell it, no one's going to sell it. I, through our past five years, have aggressively pushed this site because like, especially in the beginning, it was 39 bucks, dude, 39 bucks. You got me giving you a lesson. You got all of our videos and the community. It's stupid. So like, I know that value is so incredible that like, for me, I'm like ethically like, Dave, you need to do this, dude. This is wild for you not to do very easy to pitch that. And then the people feel it. Most people I talk with build a site. They're not that confident in it. And then they don't sell it right when, when, when they go. So I think less is more in terms of content, build it out where you know, the value is so incredible, so incredible that then you are willing to talk about it, like without feeling any kind of angst. Like if you have to sell your product and you feel kind of goofy about it, to me, the value props, not weighted enough, right? Like, like that, that to me is just the easiest way to say it. If I had this coffee cup, that's worth a thousand dollars and I was going to sell them for a dollar each. It's like, this is easy to sell. Like this is a no brainer. I love that. It speaks to why this is powerful in a niche where you really know what you're talking about and you believe in it and you feel like you're an expert in it. It's like the, you're, you're not some snake oil salesman, you know, you're not, it's not some get rich quick skin. You're like, this is me. Like I really made, the, I really made these things and I, I know this and I, I, I trust this. And, uh, I feel the same way though. So like I have this paid marketing community is $20 a month. And there's lots of free communities and it's at the point now where I actually, I refund anybody that wants it. There's no, the, my refund policy is like, look, I know that this is so valuable. If you go in there, I have no problem. I'll give you the 20 bucks right back because I know that for every two people that are like, this is not for me, I'm going to have 20 that are like, holy shit, this is awesome. And I think that's really helped is like people have this skepticism of like, who's this guy? Why am I going to pay for his stuff? I'm like, look, I'm gonna tell you something. You could go and pay $20 one time for one month, copy all of my shit, send it to somebody else, cancel, and I'll still give you a refund and I don't care because I know that there's 3,000, however many other other people in there. I, I think it's just refreshing to hear somebody talk about it that like it's not it's not smoke and mirrors like when you really believe that and, and, and you know the value of it. I love that. Yeah, and I, th I think but just one little quick point on that that made me realize that when you said that too is like I'm the same way with that. If you have a hard time getting someone to sign up for your membership site, the value proposition isn't correct, or like you're you don't you you don't have a big enough audience that you're saying it to. Like I see a lot of people here, Dave, who have products and sites and they don't pitch it. The order that you got here is important also. Like you had name recognition, you had an existing audience, and then you added this thing on. And it's like I like the way that you scaled. It's like First, just content, then AdSense, like then it's like, holy shit, there's something here, then sponsors, then affiliates, then wow, we have this big audience, then membership site. I think like if you go in there, the, the math doesn't work. If you don't have an audience, it's very tough to be like, first thing cold I'm doing is launching a membership site. And it's like 40, 40, you know, 40 bucks a month or whatever it is to join. Who the hell is Eric Kogorn? I don't I don't know this guy is, but if I've <laughs> I was play I've played golf with my buddy yesterday, I'm like, I'm like, you ever see that guy, Eric Cogorno on, on YouTube? He's like, dude, I've been a member of his site for three years. I'm like, yeah, we're doing a podcast. He's awesome. 
And I'm like, how did you become a member? He's like, because I watched, he goes, I've literally watched every one of his YouTube videos. It's like, that's who you want. You want that person to become a member, not the like cold person off the street. And so I think what's smart is you have, you have a funnel. It's, it's not just like go to straight to the membership site. It's, it's a, it's a progression. I'm glad you said that. And I think to simplify and backtrack this, it's like that I consciously follow that model of like, you build expertise, you build audience and then you sell and scale and never not in that order. Yeah, that's great. I wrote that one down. Expertise, audience, sell and scale. And I think that's what's cool is like I, this this show is specifically for people who have that expertise. And so it's like, how do we help them think about that? One question I see is how do you figure out what to charge people? So you got your first sponsor. How did you figure out what to charge? People have a lot of insecurity about about that. Yeah, I think the easy answer, Dave, is like whatever the market dictates. But how do you find that out? So what we did is like, we talked with a company that does this for other YouTubers. So we'd be like, hey, who, who, people who would um, get sponsorships? Like, hey, what do these sort of people get paid for who get these amount of views with this sort of channel? And, and most things now, dude, like with a little Google hustle, like you can, you can find some answers to those questions. So I think how do you, how much do you charge for anything? Whether it be the membership site, the uh, paid ads, the consulting, the whatever. It's like, where's the market at? And then am I good enough to charge that much or more or, or whatever? The second thing on pricing, ev- my whole life, I've been worried about increasing prices, increased prices, and have been surprised by the fact that people are just continually willing to pay more money. That has never failed me. I've yet to raise a price where it's like this, whoa, 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 like this is too high. And I like went backwards. So I always have the, the thing in my stomach where I'm like, oh man, I don't know, like, whether it was in-person lessons, sponsors, membership sites. So I think always people are willing to pay a lot of money for stuff. Let the the proof be in the pudding, right? Go 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 be like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to charge 50% more for this lesson and like oh, she said yes. No problem. C- cool. Then guess what? You that's your new price for a lesson versus if you pitch it and it doesn't go over, then take that feedback and you're going to iterate and okay, maybe I need to take it down a little bit. For me, like everything's always comes back to the same plans too. So like when I try and figure out what my pricing is for it, I've already done the math on like, here's how much money I want to make this year. Here's how much lessons I'm going to do or memberships. Here's how many people, here's the money I need for that. So I'm never just pulling something out of thin air. So you have, do you have goals for each of your channels? Like, do you treat them like different product lines, like YouTube sponsors, membership site? Dude, I got goals for everything you could think of. Yeah, absolutely. I probably overdo that. Like I probably overdo because I've had the experience that when I lay things out like that, we accomplish it. But how does that play out into day to day? Cause like, you're not, well, you, you are a business, but like when I think of like, I come from like being in a company, it's like, you have this growth plan. It's like, we're behind, you know, we set a goal for, are, is Eric Cagorno like I'm 50% behind on my membership site goal. And so like for the next three months, I'm going to push this thing hard. Like, do you, do you make changes like that and think of like almost in campaigns? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, so long as it doesn't derail us from like long-term stuff, you know, like I'm not going to pivot so drastically for a short-term goal that it affects the long-term goal. But like, that's, that's what I mean too, where it's like my short-term goals are always tied to long-term goals. So I'm not like, here's how much money I need to make this year. And then that's my whole plan. It's like, that's part of a 10 year plan that gets me this amount of money that leads to X, Y, Z. So yeah, dude, for sure. And, th- and there'll be times where we put a, I, I put a, I put a goal on there and we smash it quick. And I'm like, okay, we, you gotta, you know how that works. You know, then you got, I gotta, okay, re- reconfigure this. I'm not going to do anything that's outside of like our core values and like 
what we're looking to do type of thing. Right. Yeah. If you're YouTube, like, cause it, it, it just has diminishing returns. Like you can't, you can't rob from the quality and the brand that you've built to like pay this arbitrary goal of growing membership site sales. So I have a couple of selfish follow-ups I'm going to ask you at the end, at the end of this, but I want to just, as much as you can share that you're comfortable with, like, where, where do you go? Where do you go now? You got three or four in, you know, revenue streams under Eric Cogorno brand. You, you have a, you know, nice audience in a niche. You could just do this forever and put the money in the bank and live a super happy and flexible life. Where where are you going to go from here? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Dave, you know, because we, we, we've spoken about like, I'm sort of at a, an interesting pivot point. I, I, I watch some of these guys on YouTube and a lot of the messaging that I see is like, you know, I could make this amount of money and then just like chill and relax, but I can't do that because I'm not geared that way. Like, I'm not that kind of guy. I am that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I could do that. Definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, I don't need to be like, okay, I'm going to build this billion dollar. There's so much stuff out there that's like build a billion dollar thing. That's like in, in vogue now. But like my whole financial freedom was based on, I need $4 million. Like I back reversed my math to get to like, I need 4 million that invested gives me 20 grand a month after taxes. Like that's what I need to live my dream life. What is that? 10% S and P S and P 10% compounding. Yeah. I was like, dude, if I make percent, you know, I pay a passive tax amount, yada, yada. So I think this is important and it answers some of the questions like, what am I going to do next? This whole golf thing we're doing was built around me creating dream life with financial freedom. That is the end goal. The goal wasn't become the best coach in the world, do this, do this, do this. It was complete. It was dream life with financial freedom. How I got there, how I want to get there, the vehicle is the golf. The vehicle is all this other stuff. It's refreshing to hear you say that because I think we live in, and I, it's a good reminder for me. I think it's naturally as a competitive and driven person, you know, you can just be this, this quest for more, 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 more. And it's, it's very easy to see how, and many people have talked about this, but like I've experienced this in our life. It's like, oh, I don't need X money. But then once you have that money, everything just kind of changes. Then the lifestyle that you used to have is a little bit more and you keep spending a little bit more. And so maybe we don't need four, maybe we need eight. Maybe, you know, now you're like, and uh, it's just refreshing to hear like, yeah, what if you have this business to support your life and do more and, and do do well to fund the things that you want and you can live a happy like life and, 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 and enjoy it. It's refreshing to hear you say that. I think our first conversation, you mentioned just how you're like a naturally frugal person, but I think it definitely requires discipline to like to to stick to that and be like this is what i'm this is why i'm doing it yeah i see this is the stuff that i like this is like what is passionate for me and i think to your point we confuse more with better like i want to get better 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 but i don't need more 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 to get better and grow and feel better and all that sort of stuff i want to become better at everything across the board but i i don't need more stuff and i don't think that's the same for everyone that's for me like i can be like my life now where we live and like being able to go to the beach and have complete freedom. Like I couldn't possibly imagine it being any better. Now, listen, would I mind driving a Ferrari to the gym in the mornings when I go, I'd take a Ferrari, but I don't need the Ferrari to like get the juice of the day. You know what I'm saying? Like I need the beach. I need the freedom. I need the X, Y, Z. So this, this is all related to your question. Like, where do you go next? Because all of this in my mind is playing into this. Now I'll be honest. When I did that math, and this is like what I like to do is like write down on a list. If you could picture your dream life in 10 years, all the things you'd want. I did that. 
And then how much does all that cost? I did that. And then you back in the math of like, what's the nut that you would invest to get you that amount of money? I did that. So all my dream life stuff would cost 20 grand a month. I need 4 million investors to get to that number. Now at that point, my dream life was like, I had three houses in different places. I had country club memberships. I had Porsche 911s. I had a slew of things that I discovered for me, I don't need. So my dream life really is like seven or eight grand a month. Wait, hold on. Did you had those things or on your list you had those things? I had them I had them on my list. Like that doesn't seem on brand. You know, are you got five country club memberships, a nine eleven to the gym. <laughs> so when I when I created my list, that was what was on it that I thought like were the things that I wanted. And maybe I will get those things at some point in time. Who knows? I think the point for me now is like I don't need it. It's not requires it's not necessary. And so yeah, I'm doing all this stuff to get to the point where I can live however I want forever, right? That's that's the objective. So I realized for me, I don't really need 4 million. Like to get to seven or eight grand a month, now you're talking like I'm cutting that more in half. So then I'm like, all right, 2 million probably gets the job done. All right, like 1.7 million probably gets the job done. So with me not spending so much, you know, no, I still, I we're talking six or seven grand a month I spend. So I don't live off of two, you know, like I still spend money. It's expensive to live in South Florida. But within that now I'm like, okay, I kind of have got to the point where we create enough money where it funds like the stuff that I need. So I'm no longer interested in like, I would over the past five years do something so that we would make more money. So I would get closer to not having to worry about money. Now I don't really feel the need or nor am I motivated by increasing our monthly recurring revenue and doing anything it takes to do that because the mar- the value of that money for me beyond the, my numbers is small outside of just the people. And in most cases, there's going to be some type of trade-off. I mean, maybe this is why you mentioned like real estate is interesting, obviously, because that's something where you can invest and it can it can grow. But like, yeah, there's also there's also time. Like you could make X more, but you'd have to do Y work and spend the time on it. And so I just, it's really, it's why I've been in, in having a great time talking to you the last two weeks, because, um, you know, I think it's, you're making a bunch of money. It's not like this is some guy who's, you know, like you've built a great business and it's, and it's on these amazing, this is what I'm so passionate about. It's on these channels where you have recurring revenue. YouTube is going to be recurring revenue for you. Obviously you have to contribute to it. Uh, membership site is going to be, rec- now you have this recurring revenue that, that, that allows you to go live your life. My, parents are of the age where they're just kind of, they're retiring and you look around and I see a lot of friends or people in that space. And it's like, man, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, but like, I don't want to have to wait till I'm 65 to go and do all these things. And like my wife and I talk about that all the time. It's like, I want to be, do them now while I'm like fit and have energy. And I want to like go do all those things. I don't want to have to wait until I can't do them all. And then you have to like cram them all. Like, and so I, I love my business. I run it, but it, it, it's so we can go and do all these things and live them while we're at this age. Right. That's the whole, dude, that's my whole thesis. That's like, you want to talk about what I'm going to do next. That's what I'm going to do next is I'm going to shift I'm going to shift into talking helping people do what you just mentioned. Like that we we should do an episode at some point that's like literally when I sat down and wrote that list and did the math on it made so many things crystal clear for me. Hey, should you do a membership site or not? What does the price need to be? How many members need to be? How many videos? All that stuff math to me comes second after the plan. It does not come first, it comes second after the plan stuff, we, we should do an episode of that, of like just an exercise of going through that list and doing what that is. So now for me to, 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 here's the short answer to your question, 15 minutes later, 
now that I don't need to do things for the sake of money, I can do things for the sake of impact, which for me is like my fourth pillar of what's important to me. And impact to me comes from helping people do what we just talked about. Meaning me helping you hit the ball better feels like this to me. It's good, right? But me helping someone create what you just said feels like this to me. As the, as the guy who wants to hit the ball better, I would actually, for me, I'd flip those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me, let me wrap up. I'm sure we'll do another one at some point. This is great. This is a selfish question. You made me think, I'm like, I've always been a podcast guy. I'm going to do the show as a podcast. Is it worth thinking about how this would play on YouTube and should I have a YouTube channel? 100%. Now, I have to look at it more specifically to give good answers here. But I think you would do like, like I'll give you what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to do something similar to this. There'll be a longer form podcast. Eight to 12 minute talking face videos still play well on YouTube. Brendan Bruchard would be an example to look at. Yeah, no, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, got it. So like have the pod, the podcast might be an hour. Don't just take the same thing and put it on the YouTube channel. But, the, but there's some really good clips from this from this for like take two or three of those or, or two of those and make them into t eight to 12 minute like dedicated YouTube edited clips. Film them separately. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 here's what I'm going to do is I would do an hour podcast like this. And I would do the clips like that, like you just mentioned, and use them across socials. But I would separate from this, do a talking head video for like, you know, five to 10 minutes on a subject of you talking about the thing and make it YouTube-y because then you hit all the things. Like the reality is you don't know what the audience is going to want until you put it out. The long form podcast could be great or no one could watch it. The eight to 10 video could be great and no one could watch it. I, I, I like the model success. I think Brendan Bruchard's a good model that I would look at. Oh, so like, what? yeah, I got it. So like what I could do is I could do, I'd have to come up with a script, come up with the outline for it, but basically be like, I could do a 10 minute video about what I learned from talking to you and talk about those things. And, and, and yeah, that's a great idea. Or, ju or just any topics you want. Like my channel is going to be the dream life sort of deal, like personal development stuff. So there's hundreds of stuff, you know, like for what you're talking about, let's say like a solopreneur, dude, I could, we could probably list a hundred topics just bang, 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 you could talk through. That's, that, that, that's how I would approach it. This is great. And I'm going to, I'm going to put these together. We're going to have one super episode for when this launches and it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll keep texting and be in touch. And I'll talk to you later. Sounds good, man. Appreciate you. Okay. Ready? Go ahead. You're listening to Dave's podcast. That's great. Do one more. Say you're listening to Dave Gerhardt's podcast. You're listening to Dave's Gerhardt Podcast. Awesome.